the book of Romans. The book of Romans, Romans 13. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on one verse that has everything to do with being a caring community. We're going to be ending our year, in fact, of the caring community here in Romans, which, as we've already seen, speaks really powerfully and uh, really practically to all the ins and outs of loving one another. And it just happens to be in the context of our verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture. It's what was up next, and it fits perfectly with our emphasis. the, The chapter speaks, you might say, prophetically. That is, Romans 13 and 14 in the first part of chapter 15. It speaks prophetically. In, that is, it forth tells the truth about loving one another without holding any punches, which is the way Christ taught, if you look at his ministry. Romans 13, 7 is the transition verse between all of the qualities of true Christianity. Remember that that we went through last summer uh, that, we find, uh, that we find in Romans chapter 12. It's kind of a transition verse between all those qualities and the supreme quality that comes right after it. And that is the quality of love. He says, Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes do, and we've covered that. Custom to whom custom is due, we covered that. And now for today, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. He generalizes it here to all our relationships where respect and honor are due. That's Romans 13, 7. And in the very next verse, verse 8, if you look down, Paul begins by talking about this supreme quality. Um, of true Christianity. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. You do that, you fulfill the law. The first thing that comes to Paul's mind when he thinks of showing respect and honor to uh, one another in verse 7 is love in verse 8. That's the context. In fact, verse 7 launches the whole section on love as we've seen because being respectful... And being honoring with each other is in many ways at the, uh, at the very heart and soul of loving each other, of being a truly caring community. And that's why Paul pairs them here in verse 7 and 8. What does this mean um, to show respect and honor? Well, here's a for instance. The Bible says that you shall rise up before the gray-headed That's showing respect to the elderly, right? It's all through the Scripture. And you shall honor the aged. That's one application. But as a culture, unfortunately, as we unpack this a little bit, we often scorn older people. The older they get, get, the more we don't want to be bothered by them, at least sometimes. We'd rather just leave them alone, put them in their retirement community, out of sight, out of mind, and I can get on with my happy life. Rather than being a truly caring community, at least here at church, by, by, by treating the elderly with honor and respect by loving them in that way. You know, I'll never forget a boss of mine. He was a manager. This was like, I think, 30 years ago when I was in college. He was a manager at a place where I was washing dishes in order to get through college. And uh, he was from Europe. He was in his 50s. He was a true gentleman. It was the faculty eating area that had great food. And so they hired a guy who really presented himself well. He he was soft-hearted. He was a kind-hearted man who came from post-war Europe. 
who really knew the meaning of suffering, and there's a whole story there. But he actually came from Offer, uh, from Austria, from what we sometimes call the old country, and you could tell it. I'll never forget the way he treated those that were older than him. And he was kind of old too, right? He was well over 50, maybe in his 60s. So, and I am too, so don't take offense at that. And, I mean, no matter how busy he was, when an elderly person walked in, he would make a beeline for them. And whenever they'd come in, he'd stop whatever he was doing, and he'd just focus all his attention on them, holding his hands like this, hunching over a little bit, listening attentively to what they were saying, almost as if he were bowing in their presence. And he'd listen, and he'd give them all the time that they needed. Is that a part of our culture? Well, too often, no. There was just something about the spirit of the guy as he honored the elderly that was so beautiful and that filled that elderly person's cup to overflowing. So it was so respectfully refined, so rich his spirit, so rare. There was something about his spirit. He came from a different culture than, than ours. From you know, We're kind of a talk-back, fight-back, get-your-way society, right? And don't tell me to submit to anyone. Like the Southern California bumper sticker, a question authority. You've probably heard that one. A culture that in so many ways has forgotten the meaning of respect and honor. And so Paul says that we should love one another by rendering all, to all what is due them, fear to whom fear is due, respect to whom respect, that's the other translation, honor to whom honor. Another for instance. The Bible says, let the wife see to it that she, what? Respect her husband. That's Ephesians 5.33. That's your calling as a wife. And maybe that's curtains for me as far as you're concerned because, you know, it's not very liberated in a lot of ways. This kind of goes from preaching to meddling because our culture says the opposite. Submission is like the S word. It's like sin. And all sorts of hackles go up. But the root of submission, the very heart of it, is just a spirit of respect for your man. that's fitting for your relationship with him in the same way that that manager's respect was fitting for the elderly person who was in front of him. A spirit of respect for your man, even if you don't feel like he deserves it. How many of you were at the Love and Respect seminar two weeks ago? A number of you. It's probably one of the most powerful I've ever been to. Definitely the most powerful, practical, biblical uh, one on marriage that I've ever been to. And this will give you kind of a taste of the Love and Respect conference that we did. So uh, pretend I'm Dr. Emerson Egerich. He says this, Whenever I teach that a man needs respect, I can be sure of hearing this, at least from some women. Dr. Emerson, I don't feel any respect for my husband. It would be hypocritical for me to show him respect when I don't feel it. And I don't feel respect for him because he doesn't deserve it. He has not earned my respect by loving me in meaningful ways. And everyone knows he must earn respect. You must earn respect in order to get respect. I am not inferior to him. We are equals. So I'm not going to be treated like a doormat and subject myself to emotional abuse. Frankly, this call to respect is all about him, his ego, his narcissism, and I'm not going to feed his chauvinistic tendencies. 
I'm definitely not going to live in fear of his domination and set the feminist movement back 50 years. But other than that, I'm really open to what, hearing what you say about this. He said he's run into that kind of thing over and over and over and over again. So what he's done is this. He says, after listening to such comments, I ask one question. Do you have a son? Do you have a son? And then I offer this explanation. If you do have a son, your future daughter-in-law, who does not have a mean bone in her body and is the epitome of sweetness, will have the same he-hasn't-earned-my-respect attitude toward your precious baby boy. Do you want him to have that attitude? Consequently, your baby boy is going to shut down, close off, and withdraw from her in profound hurt. Then your daughter-in-law will label him unloving and may even go on a talk show to tell the world about it, or at the very least, her friends. My mouth drops open. Many mouths drop open when I put it that way. And the women exclaim, that daughter-in-law better not show such disrespect for my baby boy. And these women have an awakening. They feel one way about their husbands, but they feel quite differently about their precious baby boys. It hits them that their husbands were once baby boys, and if their daughters-in-law treat their sons the way they themselves are treating their husbands, there is a storm on the horizon. Show respect to whom respect is due. How do you do that? There's also a very practical seminar. Your husband knows you appreciate you, you respect him when he knows you appreciate his desire to protect and provide for him. When you praise his commitment to provide for you. When you emphasize when he reveals his male, you empathize when he reveals his male mindset and fears about his position, his status, or his rank at work. And you never put down his job or how much he makes. That kind of spirit respect of, from you, the wife, will fill his cup like nothing else and motivate him to love you like you want to be loved, to cherish you, as only you can fill it. A spirit of respect will do more to change him than all of the criticizing and complaining in the world. That does the opposite. He'll withdraw and not change. Like someone wrote, treat a man as he is, and he will remain that man. But treat a man as if he were what he might become, and he will become that better man. And you as a wife have it in your power to make that happen. Or at least he'll more likely become a better man, though of course it's still his choice. That's one way that the wise woman builds her house. Proverbs 14.1, by building up her husband. The most important way in a lot of ways. But the foolish woman, it says, tears it down with her own hands, in part by tearing down her husband. By the way, husbands, Peter says to honor your wives. Remember that? First Peter 3. As fellow heirs to the grace of life, your co-equals. First Peter 3, 7. Because she is a treasure uh, to be cherished who's more important than you are. So according to Paul in Ephesians 5, render to all what is due them, husbands and wives. For instance, another instance, the Bible says, children, obey your parents. Sorry about that, kids. Probably good there aren't that many here. 
So I'm going to mostly address parents. In the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Are you honoring your elderly father and mother? Children, obey your parents. If you think about it, that doesn't start with the children. Their respect for you doesn't start with them. It starts with you. James Dobson put it this way. Suppose a child wants some candy, but his parents refuse, so he falls down on the floor and screams and bangs his head on the carpet. Mama then becomes upset by the display and says, Here, Johnny, I guess I'll give you one piece of candy. It won't hurt you. Now stop crying. She has made it profitable with that one move for Johnny to react emotionally and disrespectfully and get what he wants by doing that. His yelling paid a tasty dividend. He challenged the system and won the battle. If good-hearted mom follows that same approach to his protests during the next 14 years, little Johnny may graduate to, and grow up to become Big Bad John. Let, uh, when rebuffed later by less pliable authority, the stage is set for tremendous disrespect. And unfortunately, this kind of violent collision between children and their parents has become a national epidemic in a lot of ways with older children and their older parents. In fact, there was a three-year study that done a while back that was funded by the National Institute on Mental Health, and it measured the extent, not of child abuse, but of parent abuse, the ultimate disrespect. You want to talk about the opposite of love? Just listen. They used a nationwide random sample of over 2,000 uh, people, uh, cutting across socioeconomic lines, racial divisions, and all the rest. Their astounding finding was this, that in any given year, three out of every 100 American children, ages 3 to 18, commit severe acts of physical aggression against their parents. Where do you think that comes from? The author of the study said this figure is absolutely frightening. And he says this study only points out deliberate, serious acts of violence. Incidents ranging from punching to kicking to hitting with objects and using a knife or a gun. When lesser violence is included, fully 9% of kids 3 to 18 abuse their parents. He said, we're not talking about broken families here or the inner city poor or any one minority group. These are your neighbors and my neighbors, and they're scared. Beware. It's in your power as a parent, starting at a young age, to teach them how to respect authority. And all too often, that's not happening. Ann Landers. Child guidance has taken on a new meaning. Parents are being guided by children. Those of us who are past 70 or so have witnessed a dazzling historical triple pass. In our growing up years, father was the undisputed head of the home. With the advent of World War II, mother displaced father. And now, in far too many families, the children are now calling the sickles. They are clearly in control. Where does that come from? I don't want to overly simplify a very complicated thing, but surely at least a good part of it comes from permissive child-rearing thanks to Dr. Spock back in the 50s. 
where we don't teach them respect. It's like Dobson said, respectful and responsible children come from families where there's a proper combination of love and discipline. You see this wherever you look. Kids on TV are, for the most part, you know, peers of their parents. Just compare Wally Cleaver to any modern-day television kid. And you'll see where we've gone. They're cocky sometimes, sophisticated, smart Alex. They, they, they may do it in funny ways, and I've laughed at it sometimes, but it betrays a societal sickness. A structural weakness, a weakness of the most, in the most fundamental uh, institution of authority on which all the others depend, and that is the one that we used to call parental authority, which engenders healthy respect. There's kind of been a seismic shift in our country, in our attitude towards our authority, one that's fracturing really the foundations. Just talk to any teacher as I'm sure many of you have. Maybe some of you are teachers. I heard one teacher who retired early, and when asked why, he said, I can't take the abuse another year. We teachers once had authority, and when challenged, the backing of the principles. No more. Teachers are now afraid of the principles, and the principals are afraid of the superintendents, and the superintendents are afraid of the school board, and the school boards are afraid of the parents, and the parents are afraid of the children. But the children, they're not afraid of anybody. It's like Garrison Keillor said in his, his new book, Woebegone Boy. How many of you have ever listened to Garrison Keillor, uh, Prairie Home Companion? I love that show. He put it, um, he yearned for the days when, as he put it, you didn't smart off to your elders. And if a lady you didn't know told you to blow your nose, you blew it. It all starts at home. We show respect to whom respect is due. For instance, the Bible says, Obey your leaders and respect them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. Are you practicing what you preach to your children about respecting your elders? Maybe some of you are. But it's still not happening with your kids. Why? Well, this might be one reason. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, these kids, they've got no respect for their elders. Have you ever said that? But what about the grown-ups? All of us in this room. What about their respect for their elders? Are they setting any kind of example for the kids? Are they practicing what they preach? From parents to practice, it's all of the same fabric. That's why Paul says that we should render to all, everyone, what is due them. From parents to even pastors and elders in churches and uh, principals in schools and policemen and presidents. Honor all men, Peter says. When you talk about these people behind their back at the dinner table, you know, and it's show and tell time for your kids and your grandkids. And you're telling them it's okay to do it by what you're doing, counter to what you're saying. And then when you're so hurt, you know, when they stab you in the back as kids or whatever, it shouldn't be surprising. Render to all what is due them. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. For instance, 
getting back to where all this began. The Bible says, let every person, this is the beginning of the chapter, be in subjection to the governing authorities. To every human institution, whether to the king or to the governor sent by him. Now, in light of our current administration, this really goes from preaching to middling. So I'm not going to stay long here. I'm just going to plant it and we'll be on. So bear with me. Yes, this includes our attitude toward the president. And I'm not going to go there today. We don't have time. But I'm just going to say this. I taught a Sunday school class long ago. I think it was back in the 70s. Um, well, in the late 80s, actually. That we should respect our president. And I had the amens of almost anyone, everyone in that class. Do you know why? They had no problem with that teaching. Why not? Well, because their man was in the White House. And his name was Ronald Reagan. Right? But as I said, I'm not going to go there tonight. You can draw the parallels. The bottom line is this. If you're disrespectful, you're not being full of love. Because honor and love are inseparable. The two go together. One verse and the very next verse, as we see in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter. Respect is the language of love for your man. So I'd like to look for a little bit about exactly what this looks like. It's the language of love for your man. Just telling him, you know, I so admire the way you get out there and do whatever you've got to do to support our family. Without that, we'd have nothing. Number one problem with inner city families, there's no father, no provider, and it all falls apart. Don't take that for granted, women. I so admire the way you support our family. Thank you. He feels respected. He feels loved when you praise his commitment to provide for you. When you never put down his job or how much he makes. Because he's not making as much as your girlfriend's husband. Right? That's his language of love when you don't do that. That really fills his cup to overflowing, to an outpouring of love to you. In a different way, it's also the language of love for a woman. A while back, our son Cameron decided to do an experiment. He decided that he was going to start opening doors for the, the girls at the school, at Summit County High School. And uh, just because he felt, you know, uh, he felt it was the right thing to do. And so I'm telling you, they loved it. Many of them were maybe liberated, but they still loved it. And now they love him too. Right? And now a lot of other guys are doing it too. Respect is the language of love uh, for your mother. When you don't take her for granted, when you thank her for all she does around the house, when you don't talk back with her, when maybe um, you open the door for her. She'll love it. And when you as a father defend her honor in front of the kids, she'll feel loved and protected like no other time in life. You love your wife by defending her honor. When you draw the line in the sand, when they're disrespectful, the kids to the mother, and when they're disrespectful, you say, you, you, you will not be disrespectful to my girlfriend. She's my girl. Right? And that's the last time I want to hear it from you. They'll understand. And respect is the language of love. It may be in congregational meetings, like the one we're going to have today at 11 o'clock or so. 
And, um, you know, I don't know the number of churches I've seen where things have broken up over what was said in a meeting that you just can't take back. And all hell breaks loose. When you state your opinion, but in all due respect for those who might disagree with you, when you start by saying, I could be wrong, but here's the way I see it. That's like oil on the water. It's by showing a little, you might sum it up this way, it's by showing a little common courtesy in the small ways that preserves our love. It's by not showing a little common courtesy in the small ways that love often fails in big ways. At home, at church, at school, and at work. So, let's, in this year of the caring community, as we come to the end of it over the next few weeks, let's make it a pact together to, cult to cultivate a culture of civility. At least in the church, when incivility is raging around us in the nation and destroying the foundations. Let's cultivate a culture of civility. Many of you do. Many of you do know the meaning of this. Let's be counter-cultural. Let's be a caring community where truly we uh, honor one another. Where, like I say in the benediction, we honor what? All men. Father, we want to thank you for how practical your word is. And Father, I just uh, pray that among all that I've said, that it wouldn't just be a blur, but your Holy Spirit would be laying something on my heart and on each heart here today, a takeaway that we can do, whether towards our wife or our kids or our elderly parents or in a congregational meeting, so that we could consummate this teaching in our lives so that it would really take hold. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we all stand? As I said, there will be a congregational meeting at 11 o'clock right after the next service. And we're going to be discussing, kind of sharing.